You don't believe my son just slipped. Excuse me? Fucking Babylon. I will leave you. You don't think I want to spend some time with my family after being gone all week? People think that I am unhinged? You touch me like that again and I will fucking leave you. Fucking leave you. Maybe you can give one hand to Warren so he can shove it too. Oh, and we're off. The Coffee Black Podcast. Welcome to the Coffee Clatch Crew Big Little Lies episode review. I'm Jason Pistorino. I'm Christina Lomangino. And today we uncover the truth with the final episode of the season and perhaps the final episode of the series. I want to know. I really want to know. Is there going to be another? <laughs> Well, IMDb is holding pretty consistent at 9.1, but Rotten Tomatoes went down to 59%. Holy shnikes. They were in the hundreds, then the 90s around episode four and five, then 79 last time and down to 59 this time. Well, it kind of mirrors the way we've been voting. We were way up there and then started to go down a little bit, not as harshly, but it mirrors it. Absolutely. And I'm just going to go ahead and say I'm probably going to be a little hard on this episode. I don't want to be an apologist because I know that gets just as annoying on podcasts where you're constantly sorry that you didn't like the episode. I do have some positives and some bright points that I want to talk about. There were some things I felt a little frustrated by this season and then I want to talk about the season as a whole. But first let's go over what the critics are saying. One quote says, ultimately the contentious follow-up season offered plenty of spectacle but it couldn't deliver a cohesive story with believable compelling development. Another says, thankfully, the team of Big Little Lies knew that less is more. And instead of going big or insisting on spelling out unnecessary details, we got an ending that remained true to the characters and didn't insult our intelligence. So you have both sides of things. All of them agreeing the acting was phenomenal, but some of them saying it fell short of season one. The finale didn't deliver on what we were hoping for. And I think a big part of that is leaving off kind of ambiguous what really Mm -hmm. did happen to our characters. But another part of that is perhaps not exploring some of the character arcs as thoroughly as we were hoping. In a nutshell, I feel that we did get that sufficiently with Celeste, but some of the rest of our Monterey Five did not get that treatment that I was hoping for. I have to agree. The side stories, now that it's over, really felt like side stories. Meaning the other of the five, it almost felt like, and not in all cases, but for a lot of them, it almost felt like, well, we need something for them to do mm-hmm. this season. So why don't we throw this in there and have them kind of deal with that Yeah. until the end? And for some, it was okay. I remember mentioning early on in this season that Jane felt a little like a sidebar, as though she'd gone through the majority of her resolution in season one, being part of our primary focus. And this was sort of the part two for her rebuilding and moving on with her life and I did like getting glimpses of that seeing that there was the chance of coming out of the other side of this resolving the trauma and being able to heal that doesn't need as much focus it isn't as dramatic but I like it as a counterpoint to what our other characters are struggling with Renata in season one was never as big of a character so delving just a little bit deeper giving her some kick-ass moments that Mm -hmm. we all really appreciated I felt was enough. There were some points where it even appeared they were throwing in scenes just so that we would have those (laughs) memes and those awesome moments to talk about. I agree. But fine. We also needed a little levity. Madeline's story wound up feeling a little bit eh to me. I wasn't 
really high or really low on it. I have some complaints that I'm going to dig into. But back to my series long problem, a lot of it came down to Bonnie. And I did not like the way they wrapped that up. I'm on board with you completely. So instead of rehashing, I'll just go a little further. With Madeline, I felt like they could have not even pushed Madeline more, pushed Ed a little more. They tried to with Tori last episode, but the carrot was always still kind of far away. Maybe if they made the carrot right in front of his face, what I mean by that is the situation was right there and he had to make the decision that right then, you know? Maybe if we knew what was going on in his head while he was boxing outside... Because it was like, oh, he's still dealing with it. And then all of a sudden, oh, oh, he figured it out. A major problem that we never know what's going on inside of his head. And I do understand that's true for pretty much all the male characters on this show. They are not the focus. But to the extent that I feel we really had to go extreme with them all kind of being assholes and useless. Either assholes and or useless. And or useless (laughs) that are totally unexplored. For some characters, that's okay. For someone like Ed... I think we did need a little bit more. Yeah. And I'm probably going to keep saying this, but where I felt we were getting to an okay conclusion with some of them, then we have the ending. And the ending seems to undo everything we spent so much time on. If you're going into a season three and that's a setup, I feel kind of okay about that. There's still a lot of time wasted that I don't understand now. Repeat scenes rehashing of stuff that with so much good content left unresolved still on the table why not give us some of that but with the prospect of never going into a season three it just feels unexcusable we worked up our five our monterey five we were saying mid-season uh mary's winning a lot renata's losing everyone else is losing in their lives we're hoping that by the end of the season we get some redemption and we did get some redemption but just like you said the bottom was dropped right away from a text So still, we didn't even feel that burden. Mm -hmm. It was just like everyone was happy because they were finally overcoming their own lies, those small lies that we've discussed. And we'll go deeper into that. And then text message. Oh, I guess they're going to the police station. There they are. It's so great that you resolved a bunch of these little lies, but the big fat whopping lie comes in literally the next scene, 30 seconds later, to essentially erase everything we worked on. And I get that there is some ambiguity there because we don't really know how that's going to turn out. And I'm okay to a certain extent with not knowing the definitive answer. But the thought that, does it matter what we just did all season long because of that? So two things would have made me digest that a little better. One, if we had, and I feel like a, a broken record here, another episode to explore what the five are going through to make that final decision. So, okay, that's basically all we were doing with Bonnie was exploring that. But what about the others who got that text who were finally happy for a moment? Maybe they fight about it. Maybe they have some tough discussions and Ed overhears it and then comes into play. Maybe a male character helps push them in the right direction or something like that. doesn't even have to be. I shouldn't have gone that way. I, I don't even mean a male character has to be a part of it. But To go through that ride with them would have felt better. And then my second reasoning, we'll go over in the sneak peek where we dive into the possibilities of a third season. So we're going to go through our thoughts on each character as we normally do. Before that, we had a couple of music notes. Continues to be an amazing point of this season. For this episode, we had Peace of My Heart a Melissa Etheridge cover of the Janis Joplin song. And I knew it was her right off the bat. That was amazing. That plays in the closing credits. 
You have Deep Inside of You by Gloria Ann Taylor during the Ed Boxing scenes. That was Yesterday by Leon Bridges. That starts playing, I believe, when Chloe is being our DJ for the moment between Mm. the two of them and then continues as Madeline and Ed renew their vows. Was that the one where it was slower than the normal version? I think you are thinking of the last one, Have You Ever Seen Rain? There's two versions of that song, and this is a slower oh, rendition. Oh, that's right. Have you ever seen? I thought it was too slow. You're thinking of the Credence Clearwater version? There we go. Okay. <laughs> we open up on yet another flashback to Trivia Night. This sort of reinforced my feeling. There was a lot of moments they could have used to the show's benefit that instead felt like a crutch, like it was falling flat, and I am almost positive this is one of the areas that was edited or messed with later Mm -hmm. to just try to tie things together but it doesn't add anything to being inside of our character's perspective it felt like the same scene over and over again it was they could have and i don't want to be the podcast that says we could do it better i'm not saying that but in my mind as an avid watcher of many movies and shows i thought if they started off every episode if they wanted to go this route they could do different points in that night what about when they're all going to the precinct to discuss this. Not while they're getting interviewed, we've seen that, but what they're going through when they're talking to each other before they get interviewed or after they get interviewed. There's that whole scope of time that would be very interesting to see. I'm so glad you bring that up. There is a lot about that that was never fleshed out. The whole character of Detective Quinlan barely gets any screen time. The central mystery that we leave off in season one, that she's watching them on the beach. They're digging further into this investigation of Perry's death is really dropped. Yeah, that was one of my things I was going to bring up as well. They tease her a few times this season, but then there's no result to that. And it really appeared as though that was going to be either because it's not an issue. They don't confess. And I was starting to think that right up until the end when Bonnie started to shift or because they do. But that's going into season three. Mm hmm. Now that it feels like neither her character and looking more into that night feels lost in the shuffle. But back to this episode, we move into Celeste watching a video of Perry and the kids. It's a montage of videos. They have these on the iPads they've been looking at. She starts off with a birthday, a first day of school. But then she finds a critical video she's never seen before, where one of the twins sneaks into their bedroom and films something. We don't see then what's happening, but we can kind of hear Celeste in the background. It sounds like she's being abused. Yeah. We were thinking at that time, either she's having sex or she's being abused. As a narrative for the moment that we've all been waiting for in the courtroom, I really like that. But as far as writing is concerned, we need this, so put it in now. We saw that Mary Louise, Celeste, and the kids have gone through that journal together, collectively, sitting there, digesting it, really enjoying that slideshow. Maybe it's a different slideshow, or maybe she was on the cloud this time. I don't know, but I feel like she would have found this earlier. Yeah, I have to make excuses for myself there, imagining that she has the master files of everything she went to to compile this book for the kids. So she has tons of videos, like we see some of just her and Perry, sexy alone time that she's looking at. And so there's a whole chunk of them Maybe she hasn't even gone through them all because it's taken time. They've done a lot of those. 
it also brings up a negative later on when she uses it in court and she recognizes that because it's proof that the kids have been witness Mm -hmm. many times to the violence that happened there. So she acknowledges, yes, it shows the picture of Perry that there was abuse going on, but it also makes me look like an unfit mother because I kept them in this environment. So Mm. it's kind of a double-edged sword for her. So as a whole, I don't think I minded it that much, but I do feel the need to at least say that a little bit of part of me felt like it was the timing was a little too perfect. There's a couple of things like that that I really wonder if they were unsure if it was going into another season or not. And then when they realized it was ending, they kind of had to plug things in to make Mm, that work better. But what if she found that earlier, but didn't want to use it? because of the fact that it is a double-edged sword and kind of proves that her kids actually did get involved in this and wasn't, you know, and then decides. And there'd be no twisty element of surprise. They were looking for things that were similar to season one that, oh man, we didn't see that coming. And that kind of was the big moment in the courtroom. Yeah, for sure. But what if we saw her struggling emotionally to use it or not? Where is the impact if you know that's coming with that court scene later? Maybe Madeline... She discussed it with Madeline and was like, I'm not going to use it. I'm not going to use it. And then we didn't, you know, then all of a sudden she picks up the remote and she uses it. And we're like, she used it. Uh, I don't not. It, see they're They're lacking in a genuine turn here at the end. So no matter how they play these things, it still feels forced. Okay. Even the reckoning of Mary Louise, and we'll talk about that later, did not have anywhere near the impact that it should have. I think there was so much suspense and slow play buildup throughout this season, and we imagined it would be a lot like season one, and then it just wasn't for me. Let's get into some of our characters who had a little bit less to do in this finale. We'll start off with Renata, who's getting coffee when she runs into Mary Louise. Mary Louise tells her Celeste has unraveled because she's taken on too much. She wouldn't have unraveled, so. She hasn't unraveled. She's a single mom and a widow with two kids. She's done a damn good job. So I encouraged a housekeeper or a nanny. She thinks nannies are too much trouble, more trouble than they're worth sometimes. What did you just say? Just a minty. What did you just say? A minty. This is exactly what you did the last time you were at my house. Stay-at-home moms who make me feel like I should be locked up. What, for neglect because I have a fucking career? I have spent every day of my goddamn life putting my family and my child first. So don't go there. Don't go there, judgy judger. Keep your eyes on your own fucking paper, Mary Louise. Now, yes, this is a great moment. We want to see her put Mary Louise in her place a little, but... All I could do is keep screaming at the screen. Why are these people even engaging with her? (laughs) At this point, they know she's baiting them. Everything they can say is just going to make them look worse. If I was in that position, I would tell her, mind your own business. I'm not speaking to you. Don't even try speaking to me again. There's not going to be a response. I would have done that as well. Not spoken to her. Just shook my head and then waited for my coffee. But we're talking about Renata here, who I think is used to being the strongest personality in the room. And that's why she's so good at business. I believe Renata still feels like she can outwit her. But not one character was able to do that all season long. That's true. They could not contain themselves, but to keep going and giving more information. Yeah. I love the fact that she gets so angry. She's speaking articulately. She's being the strong woman. And then she says something like, you're being a judgy judger. <laughs> I forget what, exactly what it Turned was. Turned into but. a five-year-old. The real scene, though, is later at the house when Renata finds Gordon back in the basement with all of his trains mysteriously there. 
He tells her he sold them all today, but he gets to keep it because the buyer is a collector. So it benefits him to store it in good hands while it increases in value. Renata understandably freaks out. He's lost all their money. All her possessions are gone, but he gets to keep his toys. And all the while, it turns out he's been sleeping with the nanny. And he gives the unforgivable line. Well, now that she's gone, I need something to play with, huh? Oh, man. Okay, so there's so many things. One, I loved this scene. I don't think I'm alone here. This was one of the biggest payoffs for this season. Renata being Renata. She's had enough. That's it. If I'm going to lose everything because of your mistake, you're going to lose everything because of your mistake. You don't get to keep your toys. How immature and selfish that he's not even paying another thought. He's not out there trying to work on stuff for them. He's like, how great is it that I found a way for me to still be able to have these toys? Yeah. I feel like they thought they needed to give Gordon a giant shove into... Shitsville? No questions asked. (laughs) He is just the worst. I think that was That way she could freak out on him. Yeah, I agree. I mean, he needs to learn how to speak to Renata. It's too late now. She's leaving him. But he could have approached that differently. One, he could have not been playing with the toys. Why why are we even going to try to justify No, but I'm saying he, he could have not been in that room when she comes home and says, we still have the possessions in that room, but I've sold it and we have $410,000. Our only thing that we have to do now is keep it secure and keep the quality there for our buyer. Not as if I still have it to play with. Well, but that's like saying... If Gordon could have only been a different person, it's not the way he handled it. It's who he is as an individual that's ultimately revealed between last episode and this. He's not just a guy that's made some mistakes in his life and his marriage. (laughs) He's a piece of shit. (laughs) And he doesn't care. He doesn't. You're right. I do think we need that in order to feel justified and actually have a cathartic moment. Otherwise, it's not really okay. But Renata picks up that bat, starts smashing everything as anyone would. In fact, catches him in the stomach. Good on her. She didn't even mean to do that. But he's like throwing his body in front of his precious collectibles. Hey, they're expensive. What I really enjoyed about the scene, the, the little things. She's wearing red. And not just a red dress. It's like a red power mm-hmm. suit. And we all know when someone's wearing red, it can indicate power, anger, passion. And I had mentioned last episode, surely Renata has to leave him now, right? It, it really wouldn't be in keeping with her character if we've uncovered all of this stuff. Mm-hmm. He's not even wanting or willing to try to help them back into a better situation or apologize for the things he's done. So, of course, at the end of this interaction, she tells him she's through with him. No more lies. And that's going to come up in each one of our characters' moments leading up to the final court scene. They get to a point in their lives with everything else, not the big lie of trivia night, but these little lies that they can't do it anymore. They need to find a resolution one way or another because it's tearing them apart. And so that's Renata's moment. And that specifically, I did enjoy about this episode. These little lies, our quote-unquote heroes, Monterey Fives, come to a resolve in those. Mm -hmm. Speaking of a resolve, over to Jane. Ziggy presses her if she's in love with Corey. She tries to explain she doesn't know him well enough yet. Love is a big word. But he tells her her face looks happy lately. It's like she's a different person because of him. He says, I want you to be with him. And I think you want to be with him too. There's again a little bit of a force here. I know that Ziggy is a very insightful, precocious child. He's got a lot of intelligence about things. Their relationship is become very honest they're Mm -hmm. able to communicate in this way with each other but it felt like they needed to give him a push into 
this trope that we see sometimes in TV and movie where the kid knows more about the relationship uh-huh. and is trying to be kind of wise and tell the parent it's good for them. It does work. Jane later apologizes to Corey, telling him she likes him, but it's not fair everything she's put on him and he, the fact that he's had to, quote, deal with her. But he tells her he doesn't view it this way. Being with her is fun. Nothing is perfect, and no matter how good something is, you can ruin it by overthinking it. Ultimately, this winds up being the real happy ending out of the bunch. Jane has been able to work through everything she's dealt with. Now she's found happiness. I get stuck on the fact that I don't love her with Corey. The relationship has felt a little bit weird to me from the beginning. And not even because of his character. Because slightly off and weird is good for her. That's what Jane is too. The important part is that she feels she can trust this person. Be honest with them. Build something genuine. And she can. I guess the chemistry just isn't there for me. And I keep harping back to our character Tom from the coffee shop last season. That was a story they built up into a potential romance that went nowhere because they erased him. And I did feel chemistry there with Mm -hmm. him. So I guess I just can't quite get over that. Well, with all these finalities with our five here, this is Jane's big moment finally broken through. I just keep dwelling on the fact that they're all getting a text message at these key moments. Yeah, well, we didn't even talk about the last scene with her and him when Celeste takes the kids for dinner. And it definitely appears as though Jane and Corey are going to have sex together on their little at-home date, which is another big thing for Jane. She's been struggling with that all season long, her ability to come back into her physicality, her sexuality. She hasn't had sex with anyone since. And spent a very long time. Yeah. So that's a major part of her feeling comfortable and trusting enough. It speaks a lot to the relationship they're building, I think. Next on to Madeline, we see Ed's been busy doing high-intensity workouts. He has not quite gotten all this anger out of his system yet. (laughs) But good on him. That's a good outlet. Chloe wonders to Abigail if Madeline and Ed are going to get divorced because he seems really mad. Abigail, and they didn't give this quite enough attention throughout the season, but has been pretty confident in what she said to both her mother and her sister that they'll work it out. He's only that mad because he cares that much. Mm -hmm. There's been a progression in Abigail. She's grown tremendously since the beginning of the season. And she knows her mother. She's seen her go through the first divorce. They were alone together for a while, Madeline raising her on her own. And I kind of think that Abigail might see something she recognizes in Ed. She has a tendency to get pretty angry and shut down and not really let others in. It's a good moment to see them all coming together as a family. I was a little nervous when we thought Madeline and Ed might be splitting up mid-season. And we started to see almost two groupings separated. Madeline was spending more time with Abigail, who is, of course, her child from her marriage with Nathan. They're going out for ice cream alone together. They're having these chats together. She's a little more dismissive of Chloe. We don't see her spending a lot of time with her. But then we get some Ed and Chloe moments. And she's, of course, his biological daughter. So I was thinking, oh, no, is this going to wind up that they get divorced and the two kids are split? So I felt comforted to see them all together here. When Madeline sees Ed doing these workouts, she asked him if the punching bag is her and says she needs to know what he's thinking. Are they apart or together? Getting better or worse? This is back to that Madeline speech that's been going on several times. I need that decision. We can't keep living in limbo here. He finally opens up and admits that while their wedding was joyous, it was also delusional. People don't really know what they're getting into when they say their vows. And they also change over time. She thinks this is a talk about separating. But instead, he says they should renew their vows. 
fully informed and committed this time, a shot at a new beginning. I felt pretty good at this point, seeing what was happening between the two of them. He had his test of whether he was going to act out (laughs) with revenge and decided not to do it. He also needed to do some real deep soul searching to determine if they were going to give it another try. There had to be the feeling that he could trust her again. He didn't have to completely open up to that now, but at least it's a possibility for the future. Otherwise, entering back into that relationship isn't going to work for either of them. Right away, when Madeline starts agreeing to it. Yeah, she's getting excited. She's going over the top. She's being a little too Madeline and he kind of tones (laughs) her down a bit. No, it's just going to be a thing with our family. I like that. This is about compromise. We need to work together now moving into the future. They also discuss their vows for better or worse. And he feels the need to again get a comment in there. No, no, you're not allowed your worst. You've already done your worst. I don't mind that. It's like... Still, he's not really over it. She's going to make mistakes again in the future, dude. Mm. This is not going to be perfect from well, here on Well, she's going to make mistakes real soon. And what's going to happen? There's a big lie that she hasn't told you yet. Exactly. What's going <laughs> to happen the next time Madeline makes a mistake and it's like, I warned you, this is done. I can't tolerate any more imperfection here. Well, I think, oh, man. I mean, this is going to be, this is a big one. He's going to be like, wait, 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 wait. We just renewed our vows and you didn't tell me this big thing? I'm literally 99.9% sure that's the end of their relationship. And imagine what the kids are going to go through emotionally. And I'm so... That's what I mean by reversing everything we did here. I'm so frustrated by that. I was a little confused with how quickly they renewed their vows. Granted, it was only the immediate family, so it didn't need too much planning, but it was... It felt like the next day. I think it had to be because we do see there's two court days that appear back to back and their renewal is right in between. And that brings up the second point. How on earth could Madeline go into this knowing it's a second chance? And not tell him. And the big part of what he's frustrated with are all these lies and she doesn't tell him. Mm -hmm. The big lie. She knows that's going to be the end. Yeah. And then she gets the text message. And there's really no answer. I thought there was going to be a resolution to Ed kind of getting the feeling something is going on with these women. He seemed more attuned to that. Not just that she's spending time with them, but something's happening there that lies are being kept from them. Mm. When they're having meetings, he thinks it's strange. He's the first to be suspicious about it. Yeah. So I thought it was going to be that Bonnie had talked to him. There's no answer on whatever happened in that coffee scene where she looked so spectacular and we have no idea what they discussed. Is it okay to give a spoiler here now, given that we're done with the season and there's probably not going to be a season three? As far as book-wise? Yeah. Yeah. So spoiler alert, when I saw that coming last episode, I thought for sure this was a tip-off to the couple of little book crumbs we hadn't gotten to yet, one of them being... Madeline did tell Ed what had happened in the book. And he was getting increasingly frustrated with her for making him keep that lie because he didn't think it was right. And by the end, he was going to go tell the cops what had happened. Oh, wow. And she said, I can't let you do that. I'll do it myself. Okay. And so I thought we were going to get that play out in a slightly different way here. And I'm Mm. like, well, that's why. (laughs) Because he does know she had to tell him at some point. The way it stands, I don't really understand what the heck happened here, but we do get this nice moment where they decide it's just going to be the two of them and their kids at home in a little ceremony. Well, before we get to our big action at the court hearing, we have one more character to discuss, and that's Bonnie. I'm sorry to be down on this because this is the area I'm going to be most frustrated with. 
Bonnie wakes in the hospital thinking about smothering her mother yet again. She tells her father she wants some alone time with Elizabeth and then says to her mother there's one more thing she needs to tell her. Something that wasn't in that whole speech last time. I love you. It took my whole life to say that. Again, she envisions killing her and we cut to a scene of her father in the hallway remembering he forgot something in the room. He goes back. We are sure he's going to walk in on this happening. Yeah. And yet when he comes into the room, she's snuggled up on the bed beside her mother sleeping. Yeah, he forgot his keys. Um, that would have been a great scene if that was the first time they made us go through this whole storyline of her envisioning killing her mother. Why did she do? Why did we get all of it? There was so much more backstory that we just dipped a toe into last episode in this of what had gone on in Bonnie's childhood. We ran through in that speech from the time she had suffered this abuse as a child, how it impacted her as an adult. Why Mm -hmm. did she wind up with Nathan? What was she running from when she came to this town? We don't really get any of that. We get the repeated symbology of drowning, which credit to you it turns out that was all a metaphor yeah didn't mean anything drowning in the lie the the drowning in the lie repeated thoughts of killing her mother that's just a representation of her being so angry with her but now that she's unburdened herself said her resentment speech forgiven her mother why is she still having thoughts about killing her how does that make sense i don't know and all of the empathic flashes the visions the weird there's no payoff spiritual stuff her mother was doing We don't even get another scene with Elizabeth. She never really wakes up from consciousness. I mean, I feel like this is criminal. I'm really upset about that. There's even a moment where you think it's coming. The next day, the father returns to the hospital and he's surprised to find Bonnie with Elizabeth, who's awake. Tremendous. We're going to learn some stuff. Elizabeth is going to talk. What was she hearing or seeing while she was out? It's a short sliver of time, but maybe, maybe we can wrap up this storyline amazingly. She's hungry now. This could really turn around. I never told you to kill me. What do you mean? And Bonnie realizes, holy shit, that was all in my head. She heard her confiding this whole time. Bonnie desperately needs guidance of what to do here. She's been weighed down by this guilt she's suffering, the things she does. Elizabeth heard. She couldn't respond. Now she can tell her daughter what to do. For once, they can have a loving, compassionate moment where she mothers her the right way. And Bonnie's able to come to a healing because of that. And that's why she ends up making the decision to stop living that lie. Yeah. That would I'm, be nice. We f- I finally got past what I was so angry with you for. Maybe I that was cut out. myself. Maybe that was cut. That's horrible because this makes no sense. Later that day, Bonnie returns to find out she's had another stroke. As viewers, you're just like, wait, what? The- why you did- haven't given us any kind of train track to go through these things. Why did we have her have a moment earlier where she's getting better just to have another stroke and this time it's fatal? It's weird. It didn't have an emotional impact on us because we didn't get to speak to Elizabeth. Not only that, there is so little impact surrounding her death. It took me a while to realize she had in fact died. It seemed like she had another stroke. Maybe this is going to be it. We don't know what we're going to do now. She's going to be in a coma or something indefinitely. And then you realize they're cleaning out her room. She passed away. It's not okay that I don't understand until then that Mm -hmm. that happened. And then we have the Bonnie truth moment. With Nathan, which also not good. I mean, she says this the way I think she needs to. She tells him while he's been a good man and a wonderful father, he's also right to think something's been going on with her lately. She admits she's not in love with him and doesn't think she ever has been. She's sorry, but she just can't lie anymore. 
We don't see the follow-up to this, but presumably she told both him and her father what she had done and the fact that she intended to turn herself in because later when she says she's leaving, they offer to drive her. It's like they know exactly what she's going to do. Oh, really? Yeah, I think so. Okay. Because they're really, they're both very, at least let me drive you and drop you off there. Okay. Are you going to be okay? Like, And they have a child. She's essentially just told Nathan... She doesn't really love him anymore, which would mean the end of the relationship. She has to be thinking, if I wind up going to jail, someone's got to take care of my kid. I got to tell these people what's happening with me right now. And I, I do think that's another moment of progress. If she was able to open up to Nathan and her father, we know she hasn't been doing that. Give us that scene. Yeah. Holy shit. Now, I know we've been a little harsh, but we both feel like Bonnie as a character had so much more to explore. They opened up so many avenues, and instead they filled us with repeated drowning flashes and pillow suffocation flashes. It got to a point where I was like, oh, okay, here's Bonnie. She's going to think about something. It's not going to be real. They just need to keep you confused and her struggling with her conscience the entire time. I mean, they really opened up a ton of doors. Like we said, everything from she's the only black woman in this town full of wealthy white women we're not wrong to wonder if she confesses to this crime. Mm. Is she more likely oh. to get punished for it, even though that's not what she deserved? This was self-defense for all of them. But what is she doing in this town in the first place? What is she doing with Nathan? Obviously, this is because she was running from something. We get a little of that in the resentment speech. But how has she managed to put up these walls and this mask for so long? She doesn't even, we don't think, really believe in yoga. I mean, and then... Everything that happened with her mother and then it turns out her <laughs> father. I mean, I got so interested and invested in her character and I, I don't feel like I got any of that really wrapped up. So I feel bad for Bonnie. Oh, I said I wasn't going to apologize, but I am sorry if this has gotten <laughs> a little down. The good news is we've gotten that out of our system and we're about to talk about the scenes we really did enjoy. That being everything with Celeste in the courtroom you know, I have some nitpicks or things that I would have liked to see further explored. But ultimately, I thought this was the highlight of this episode, the highlight of the season, the Celeste and Mary Louise battle. Before we dig into that, though, I just want to take a second to thank everybody for listening, going on this journey of exploring big little lies with us, just like we did when we branched out to sharp objects. This is a little bit different than what CKC normally covers. But we've had an amazing time doing it. And thank everyone who left reviews. We normally do announce reviews on the podcast, but there's been so much to talk about. We haven't had time. We've read them, and we love you for that. <laughs> also, unfortunately, this was a short season, and we're not moving right into any of our other flagship shows the way we've been doing in the past, from The Magicians right to Game of Thrones. However, that doesn't mean CKC is disappearing. So if you want to continue along with us, continue to have fun, and get more content, there's a couple of ways that you can stay connected. Over on iTunes and all the other podcast apps that you're listening to us now, we have plenty of other shows. Mr. Robot, like you said, The Magicians, Game of Thrones, Westworld, which is coming back in 2020, Sherlock, over on Netflix. If you haven't watched that, you gotta watch that. That's another show that's so amazing with so many talented superstars that they weren't able to make them as frequently as they wanted to. Don't push Doctor Who. It's up there, but <laughs> we only did the last season, the reboot that they started up with that. But there's plenty in all of those channels for the backlog. Like we always say, we would encourage subscribing to our main channel, the Coffee Clatch Crew channel with the white background and the little dude in the center, because that will keep you up to date on any of our coverage in between our big shows. 
if we do come out with some intermittent stuff, news about shows, what's coming up, or a short season that we want to cover in one episode, anything else fun that we might do, you will see that immediately when it drops, and you'll, you'll know when our next big episode review is coming up. And there might be some other shows in between our flagships that we're thinking about reviewing. So you want to at least subscribe to that channel or subscribe to us on social media, Twitter at CKC Podcast, Facebook, and Instagram. The main channel and Twitter are really the most active, so that's a good way to stay up to date with news. If you do need more content before any of that comes out, you can also find us on Patreon. Go check it out. There's a tier that's right for everyone, whether it's $1 to support us, because you like what we do and you want to help CKC grow, or upwards from there where you can get extra content each month, coffee break segments, bonus podcasts that cover interesting topics and fun news, or full movie review coverage. That's right. We will go to the movies, see something new that's out there that you vote on in the polls, or do a fun throwback like we just did this month. It's about to come out soon, The Book of Eli. Fun facts, character reviews, quizzes... It's a similar format to the episode review, whereas the bonus episodes are kind of more loose, a lot of fun, more interactive segments. So for any of your Coffee Clutch Crew information, you can head over to our website, coffeeclutchcrew.com, and check out what's going on. And I can't believe we forgot to mention, when you're a Patreon member, every month you are put into a raffle for free CKC gear. And in this break, Christina and I will be designing new gear, exciting gear, the magician, Stranger Things. We have so many fun things coming at you. If you love what we're doing and you want to support us, those are the best ways to do it. Is there a countdown to when we're going to get back to this episode review? Yeah, right now. (laughs) On to the good stuff. Before going into court, Celeste Lawyer warns her that if she questions Mary Louise, she can bait her and it may backfire. But Celeste believes she knows her, so she has a better chance of getting to her than Katie does. It's then that Celeste thinks of a moment Perry told her about with his childhood, a bad car accident where Mary Louise started shaking young Perry and repeatedly saying, look what you made me do. I really enjoyed this because this is one of the questions that they did perpetuate in the beginning of the season. What was this accident? We had conjured that maybe Perry was physical with his brother. Well, was involved in something that led to his death. And now he has his mother all to himself. You know, we we came up with these storylines. But it ends up being an accident with the mother always blaming Perry for everything going on. Yeah, well, and really it is... From the way it's portrayed, Mary Louise's fault. So it kind of goes back to what you were saying first. She was abusive towards him. She was so angry and aggressive that she lost her temper while she was driving, got into an accident, and then blamed it on Perry for distracting her. We find out that she was physical with him. She hit and kicked him. She was emotionally abusive by blaming him for the accident. I don't think we got into this quite as much as I would have liked to have seen because... It explains a lot about what Perry's background was, Mm -hmm. how all of these things came to be, what the psychology is behind it that we didn't know all throughout season one. I think that the moment Mary, and I'm jumping forward again, the moment Mary Louise later on comes to Celeste's house at night, I think that would have been a perfect opportunity to dive deeper into that night where Mary starts to divulge everything that happened. Yeah, and I'm not saying that we need justification. No. There's no excuse for what Perry did. So I can kind of see their hesitation to dive into this. It's another thing that that they don't want to feel bad about what happened to him. But I really meant more about as it relates to Mary Louise. Yes. And Perry. Like I said, I don't think she quite had the reckoning that I needed her to have here. 
she still walks away from this with a great deal of denial that I don't know if she ever fully no, accepts. That's her happened. survival mechanism. Mm-hmm. To the point where she doesn't remember anything that Celeste is telling her about this night. Uh, real quick, and I've talked about this on Patreon. Uh, when I was young, first grade, my mother and I in a car were hit by a school bus. And the reason why was we were stopped for a turn, but the school bus driver was busy yelling at the kids and staring up at that big mirror and was so distracted by yelling that he didn't see us stopped. Mm-hmm. So it kind of hits home for me. And it was an accident that did have a huge impact on both you and your mother. Thankfully, your mother is a wonderful, kind Strong. woman who <laughs> mothered you very well. It did not at all go to this end of things. But we can relate to how traumatic that would be yeah. for everyone involved. I mean, I do punch school buses as they drive by. As Kirk has often said. <laughs> Back to the scene, Mary Louise is also warned about the questioning from her lawyer. Celeste will be presenting herself as a mother, reasonable, smart, compassionate, and she won't be subject to cross-examination. Now, we had kind of wondered about that. Is that the way this court would work? This is so different because it's only being run by the judge. I don't know what the rules would be, and I don't know if they're even trying to keep true to... Actual rules. Factual law. Because Who knows? It, this is a TV show, so they can kind of do their own thing with it if they want to. So in between last episode and this episode, Christina and I went to law school <laughs> and we've learned it all. <laughs> no, but really, we don't know. But I'm going to go with this is what happens when it's this kind of court. Mm-hmm. If you have a license. I mean, that's I think that's the determining factor that she has a license Oh, I meant about the fact that she couldn't be cross-examined because I was really worried about that last episode that Mr. Farber could still have a last oh, shot with Mary at Mary Louise. Louise. I don't see why she wouldn't be able to be cross-examined. Right, because he's saying she's going to get the last word here. So be really careful about what you say and only answer the questions that are asked. Oh, well, I'll tell you why. If you remember when Celeste was on the stand, it was Mary Louise's lawyer, then Celeste's lawyer, and then Mary Louise's lawyer could go back in one more time. He had his final shot. So even if he went in after Celeste, Celeste would again get the final word. Right. That makes sense. Mary Louise also says something interesting here, and it seems like just in passing. She insists that Perry described Celeste as sleeping beauty. She finishes that with, he was her prince and she killed him. But I wonder if they brought up that terminology as some type of parallel to the character. At another point, Mary Louise described her as an enigma, something she couldn't understand. Mm -hmm. I think there was a lot of symbolism going on here. We could spend a whole podcast diving into the background of Sleeping Beauty. But what I thought was interesting, in the original telling of the story, there's been examinations where they say there's some symbology here that correlates to the neo-pagan triple goddess. For the princess, Sleeping Beauty, peril occurs for her at, at defining moments in her life. The first in late adolescence when she's on the cusp of womanhood. The second when she is a mother seeking to protect her children. And these life stages are reminiscent of the goddess, which represents aspects of the female life through the phases of the moon. So I'm drawing this symbol out for you. Our listeners aren't able to see this. But first, there's a waxing moon that represents the maiden. The full moon is the mother and the waning moon is the crone. I liked that terminology because it reminds me of Game of Thrones where you have the religion of the seven and some of the characters being represented there are mother maiden and crone that they pray to. So Sleeping Beauty goes through these things first as a maiden and then as a mother, the challenges she's confronted with much like Celeste does here. 
She got into a relationship with Perry when she was younger. She had to struggle with the abuse and everything that was going on with him at that point in time. Now she's going through the challenges of motherhood. Somebody trying to take her children away from her and literally having to defend herself and the life that she wants to give them. And you have the final stage being Mary Louise, not trying to call Meryl Streep a crone. This is coming out very badly, (laughs) but in that next generation of life and her trying to come to terms with or really not coming to terms with all the things she went through in her past. Anyhow, sorry about that tangent. When Mary Louise takes the stand, Celeste asks if she views her as a bad mother. Mary Louise admits she is wonderfully committed, but she's observed her being violent with the boys, throwing Max to the ground, driving under the influence and crashing her car, concluding that her children are in imminent peril. This is the line of questioning Celeste follows up with in response to that. Did you ever report to child services you believed my children were in danger or to any other agency? No. Was I routinely or even often violent with my children? No. As a young mother, did you ever lose your temper with your boys while driving an automobile and cause the car to crash? In fact, your son Raymond died and Perry was only five years old. Did he have therapy to deal with the trauma? Mm, The answers to that are no too. Mary Louise says in those days, they were less inclined to outsource their children's pain, so she assumed that role. Even that, Celeste won't let stand. Okay, so you're the one that comforted him, helped him through this. Did you blame him? Did you accuse him of distracting you? Did you punish and emotionally batter him, telling him it was his fault? Did you hit and kick him? Really exposing. You're trying to say, I've done all of these bad things to my children. What happened during this major event, as we brought up last time, where a child died when under your care because you lost your temper and you proceeded to abuse the remaining child? This is how Perry became Perry. That was left. And you blamed him for the accident and just... The father left, so he was all alone with this mother, just in complete denial that she had any portion of responsibility for it. This was genius of Celeste. And may I say one more time how much of a shitty lawyer Celeste had, who doesn't do anything, (laughs) doesn't say anything the whole time, wouldn't bring this up. Not one word throughout the rest of these proceedings. And if it wasn't for Celeste, it wouldn't even be here at this point. Mary Louise and her lawyer for the first half of this trial has brought up insufficiencies of Celeste, utilizing Perry as a tool to indicate her insufficiency. Celeste, in this cross-examination, is the one to bring up what the underlining problem with this family was, which was Perry, his abusiveness. And that stems from his relationship with his mother. And his mother is the one that we're all discussing who should have the kids. Yes. Now, Celeste also has shortcomings, which she's admitted to, but she's saying a lot of that was revolving around Perry. She's doing her best now through therapy to overcome that. The judge was initially disinclined to take the kids away from their mother. So you really have to prove that the place they're going next would be better and healthier for them. And Celeste is knocking that down peg by peg. You can see the judge kind of responding to this. I still don't know where she would have fallen on that line, you would hope. But she also has to prove here that everything she suffered through was real. She shouldn't have to do that. But Mary Louise keeps trying to throw that all into question. And also that Mary Louise hasn't helped herself. That she is, in fact, still ill. So this next part was pure genius that... Mary Louise is starting to be in denial. You know, Perry did not turn out that way. He did not turn into a bad person. I wasn't abusive with him. I didn't hit or kick him. She's denying all that. You're lying. Stop lying. So then Celeste says, was Jane also lying about being raped? 
And Mary Louise starts in with that line. Finally, the judge and everyone else is able to see what she does here. (laughs) Jane might have been mistaken. Maybe Perry thought some women like that. After all, isn't that what went on in your sexual sickness with your relationship that you were complicit in, Celeste? My child would never do this. I think he was thinking that this is what women like because this is what you like. Which which means it's your fault. It's so insane. And... Finishes that by saying she's assassinating his character. He is the victim here. (laughs) And he can't defend himself. This is when Celeste plays the video she found of her being physically assaulted by Perry. And they pan around. You can see the Monterey Five sitting in the court, just distraught, really having difficulty watching what's an awful thing to see. Knowing that with their love for their friend Celeste, already felt the pain, but now seeing it, they're feeling it tenfold. Mm -hmm. They're actually getting a realization of what she went through. It's not just nobody wants to see that. It's this is our friend and we love her. And it's so awful to think that she had to go through that and had no support, never told anybody. We get why she didn't, but Madeline's going to beat herself up later. She wished she would have known and been able to be there for Celeste. Mary Louise reacting, but then turning her face. Like, I'm still going to refuse to even see that or take it in. And then surprisingly, the judge stops Celeste. I was a little shocked by that. Almost like she didn't want to see anymore. Okay, that's enough. But it clearly does have an impact on her too. My sons took that video. Your concerns that I am making up stories about their father are unfounded. Mary Louise, look at me. This was your son. We get the interaction with Celeste and Madeline where she's telling her she's doing a great job here. She shouldn't beat herself up. She's a strong woman and a good mother. The boys belong with her. She also tells her she's been thinking about the lie, the big one, and feeling bad that she started it. She's seen the damage it's done. It's eroding all of them, the Monterey Five, and unraveling their friendships. But Celeste says something kind of interesting. She says her and Madeline and even Jane have a friendship. But the Monterey Five, that's Mm. different. The lie is the friendship. I don't think I agree with this. I know that they're tighter now because of this, but I don't believe that their friendship is wholly tied to this lie. Based around that, yeah. Maybe the exception of Bonnie because she wasn't part of them. Well, but that's kind of what they're saying. Renata, who wasn't really part of the group. Madeline kind of had a separate relationship with her. Renata hated Jane and very aggravated sometimes by Madeline. I mean, our opening song is fucking Madeline. Yeah, but they did kind of become close. They had a separate relationship. She was cordial with Celeste. But the same thing with Bonnie. They, They weren't really all together. Even Jane, who has now become such a central part of the group, the catalyst to that was her meeting Madeline and learning the truth of what mm. she had been through. They didn't know it was Perry at the time. But that's just what kick-started them to form the bonds. I don't think it is the bond. Like once they release that lie, it's going to be the end of the friendship. I don't feel that's the message they were sending to us all of season one. This is really a force now that they've come together and it's made them all stronger to be friends. And I I don't like to believe that if that wasn't there, it would fall apart. I don't believe so. Anyways, later at home, the boys asked Celeste if court went well and if she was like a superhero. Did you beat her up, they say. I mean, really just kind of continuing that track that These boys need to continue to get help and to heal. They're interrupted when Mary Louise comes to the door asking Celeste why she lied. She never hit her kids. What was she talking about? Celeste wonders if she's saying Perry's a liar. 
because he's the one that told her about all of this. Mary Louise says she brought him up to be a good man, and the person she saw in that video was not him. So Celeste responds with, you lost your boys, you don't get to take mine, and locks her out. Good on you, Celeste. The next day, she dresses the kids for court in suits and ties, and the twins think about Perry. If he were here, he wouldn't let Grandma do this. Celeste reiterates that if the judge has any questions, they should answer honestly. And back in court, before the judge can give a ruling, Mary Louise asks to be heard first. I guess she's entitled to a closing statement. Statement. I don't... Because I don't know why that's allowed and why... This judge is very patient. (laughs) I mean, because you'd think the lawyer maybe would get a closing statement. Celeste, I guess, would get to say that herself because she is a lawyer and is partially defending herself. But also, you're not supposed to interrupt the judge. <laughs> I know. You know. She's like, chill she's with that. She's interrupted all the time now. Oh, she tells Celeste she had no idea about the truth of Perry until she saw that video. It was repugnant. But still, Celeste was part of it, complicit with the sickness she exposed her children to, and they are at risk. Celeste says, that's the problem. Mary Louise had no idea of what happened and could not see the truth. Conversely, her children are good boys, and she will raise them to be good men. With that, finally, the judge says, the children face challenges ahead with their healing that will be hard enough. She won't remove them from their mother and their home on top of that. She grants full custody to Celeste. But something that we didn't see the judge say, but I think she alluded to it, that there will be some things that Celeste is going to have to go through. Conditions, yeah. Yeah, she's going to have to take the kids to certain counseling. She's going to have to do maybe drug testing. I think there's going to be some stipulations, which I like and I agree with. Yeah, she kind of went over them while we were going through this. I think that this is all ended in a really good place. Celeste was able to keep her cool, Hmm. not emotionally react as her lawyer was worried about. And so the truth was able to come out. Not only that, at the end, she tells the boys to go hug their grandmother, knowing that this is probably going to be the last they see of her for a while, while her and the Monterey Five celebrate the victory. All seems really well, but we come to our ending montage of scenes. On the beach, Ed and Madeline renew their vows with Abigail officiating. Mary Louise drives away. Thank goodness. Celeste (laughs) and the boys and Ziggy eat dinner while Jane has her date with Corey. Renata puts Amabella to bed and tells her she loves her. But while all of this is happening, the women are getting texts on their phones. We don't know what they say. We move over to Bonnie, who arranges the items her mother used in front of a picture of Skye this time. She readies herself and tells her father and Nathan she needs to do what's about to come alone. In the last scene, we see she's meeting up with the rest of the Monterey Five as they all walk together into the police station. So I assume that she didn't call them over. I assume she let them know that I can't live with this anymore. I'm going to tell the truth. Mm -hmm. And they all came together. To support her. To, we believe, confess to their part in this because they're going to find out. They all lied about it. I would have been that one person been like, I thought he tripped. I mean, I, I didn't. It was I looked so fast. Away at that moment. Everyone said they saw her trip, so I just went Next with it. I, I don't thought, know. No, Shit. I mean, they got to support <laughs> Bonnie, right? That's the point. I mean, who knows what's going to happen? We would love to believe that they're not going to get in trouble for this. They're not going to go to jail. But I think it's a possibility that they do. And as we said, it's just really disappointing after some of the progress we've seen being made here if that's yeah. undone in this moment of unburdening. So in the book, Bonnie does turn herself in, but she's given a lenient sentence of community service. No jail time. Yep, and in part because of her past as a victim and what was going on and who Perry was. 
But we don't know if that's going to happen in this show. And nothing else happens to the rest of the group. They don't get in trouble. There is a slight difference as well to Bonnie's backstory there that it's her father that was abusive. They changed it to be her mother, which, again, could have had some interesting relationship dynamics and exploration to it that we didn't get a lot of. But it kind of comes to the same point of what she was struggling with and what brought her to that place, (laughs) why she would be reactive to seeing that happen with Celeste. Maybe they felt like, you know, we can't have another man be a douchebag. Yeah, I mean... (laughs) Uh, you, they all pretty much are, though. I don't know why you got an issue with one more, but okay. But what we do know is that obstruction of justice is what they're all going to get. Mm-hmm. On top of what Bonnie's going to get, potentially, uh, if it's murder or... Uh, what is it called when you don't mean to murder them? Unintentional manslaughter. Oops. Accidental manslaughter. <laughs> it's, just, it's not good, still. So I did um, some detective research meaning I just Googled it and I looked up on Wikipedia what obstruction of justice really is. A lot of this won't make sense, but I'm going to read it. In the United States, obstruction of justice is a crime consisting of obstructing prosecutors, investigators, and other government officials. Obstruction is a board crime that may include acts such as perjury, making false statements to officials. That's Mm -hmm. what they did. Witness tampering. Maybe that's... No, they are the witnesses. Yeah, but they tampered with each other, like Madeline and Renata overriding the story of the others that wanted to tell the truth. Okay. Jury tampering, destruction of evidence, and many others. Here's the sentence that normally goes through. Now, of course, it changes case to case. Under the federal sentence guidelines, a defendant convicted of any crime is subject to a more severe sentence if they are found to have obstructed justice by impeding the investigation or prosecution of their crimes. That's exactly what they did. And did not allow that to come out in the courtroom here with Celeste when she was being kind of pushed into that line of questioning. While a separate conviction of the crime of obstruction would require proof beyond reasonable doubt, a finding of obstruction for sentencing purposes only needs to meet the looser standard of a preponderance of the evidence. Now, if they're coming forth as the obstructors, that's evidence right there. Plus, they have that scientific video that Mr. Farber showed of why it was obvious he couldn't have just fell with the velocity that he fell, the area that he landed. So they're already kind of on to something doesn't add up here. And we know the detective on the case isn't like the judge where we think that she will be more sentimental to their situation. She seems out to get them. Doesn't seem like it. So how much time could they get? We don't really know. No matter how much research, it would depend. But in the past, an obstruction finding adds two levels to the offender's sentence, which can result in as much as an additional 68 months of prison. Just for obstruction? An additional. It it makes it so that the court has... That's years. Yeah, I know. So So if if she was tried for murder... Bonnie. Yes, plus 68 months, and then the others could get... That's the problem. I feel like Bonnie would definitely go to jail for some period of time. Who knows what the others would get, if it would be community service and and whatever, if they would get some months in jail. I'm not sure. If they were just in the beginning and Bonnie just said, I was pushing him off of Celeste. This is uh, hindsight. And he's a big, he's six foot, a hundred. And I was just pushing him with all my might so that I can move him a little bit. And it comes back to the (laughs) issue that I was telling you. In the books, we had all of the extenuating circumstances, which I think helped Bonnie's case a lot. It was raining that night. The Mm -hmm. rails were below regulation height at that restaurant or or 
the banquet hall where they were. Also, we know that the caterers were late. So all there was was booze. Everybody no was food. drunk. Like there was thing on top of thing that Bonnie could have literally pushed him with just enough force to get him off of Celeste with no malintent. Then he slips and falls backwards mm-hmm. over the stairs. It is mostly still an accident. I don't understand why in the TV show they took all of that away. So you don't have that in Bonnie's favor and it really looks more like she was trying to hurt him if you go based off the evidence. So how often is, in the real life, obstruction of justice presented in the courts? In 2017, this was applied in 1,319 cases, representing 2.1% of all sentences issued in federal courts. It's not that much. 2%. But I think maybe it's because it's not just, um, you know, I always wondered as a kid, like, if you're not Catholic and you're swearing on a Bible, that doesn't mean shit. You know, I swear on God, tell the truth, nothing but the truth. But what could mean more is the fact up to 68 months of prison can be added. I mean, that's insane. So we don't know. There is a lot of ambiguity. I couldn't help asking questions like if Jane and Renata were to serve any sort of jail time what would happen to Amabella and Ziggy Renata just having left Gordon lost all of her possessions Jane Mm -hmm. sort of being on her own from what we've seen what's going to happen to the relationship between Madeline and Ed now that seemed so tenuous even before this there's a lot writing it's not just like wow that would suck to go to jail for a couple of months everything that they've been trying to overcome in their personal lives and relationships could be undone by the telling of this lie so it's a little sad that We have to perhaps leave it like that for a season. Or forever. As we mentioned, as of now, there are no plans for A Big Little Lie season three. HBO president Casey Bloys told TV Line a third season is not realistic, citing the fact that all these major actors, you talked about that before, some of the busiest in Hollywood, it would be difficult coordinating their schedules. Kidman echoed these sentiments, saying, I think it would simply be too hard to get the whole group together. Blois adds, look, if they all came to me and said we worked it out with all of our schedules, then sure, we would love to do it. They say there are certainly ideas behind a season three, but Kidman also adds we would not do it without all the same people involved, including the kids. So it really would have to be a confluence of events here. Yeah. And I wonder, going into season two... We learned Leanne Moriarty wrote an additional novella of material that they could work off of here. Have we exhausted all of that? Is there some of that left that could go into a season three? It felt like we had more story to tell here, but it wasn't done sufficiently. So unless there was a much better plan and more time spent on this, I don't think I would want a season three. I don't love the way we left it, but you need good reason And a really good plan to move forward with it. Plus all of the extra drama that we're not sure about with the producers and Andrea Arnold and everything behind the scenes. All of that being said, Jason, let's give our ratings for both this episode and we will tally up what ours were for the season. On a scale of one to ten lies, what do you give the finale? Look, I did enjoy watching and podcasting about this season. There was so much good acting. The storytelling was really good for the most part. Unfortunately, we saved uh, most of our shortcomings or discussion of the shortcomings to this episode, I think, because we had hope. So it sounds like we hated it, but we didn't. With that being said, this being the final episode of the season, possibly the final episode of the series, I'm going to go with 7.8 lies. It's not our worst. It's definitely not our best. And God knows we have graded lower for our movie reviews. So it's not too bad. I agree with all of that. I'm taking this episode... With a grain of sand? 
Yes, there are parts of it that I really liked. I think it's okay on its own, except all of the added pressure of this is the last one ever. There were problems building up all season that just culminated here. I'm giving this a seven lies. In reality, it should probably get a lot worse than that. It was the Celeste and Mary. It, the court stuff really yeah. saved it for me. Yes. And the final scene really ruined it for me. So I don't want to throw all of it out with that. As you said, we had a really great time. And if you average up the ratings for the season, I think that is truly reflected. IMDb has a total of 8.9. Rotten Tomatoes an 88%. I have an 8.7 and you have an 8.8. That oh, is wow. still phenomenal We're so close scoring. to them. It's a lot better than the last season of Game of Thrones, as yeah. far as grading is concerned. That's, that's true. And, and maybe we were a little kind to it. We, we beat up on it all episode long, and then we gave these okay ratings. We got to be honest. We can't just every episode say, we love it. No, no. That's, Everything's that's perfect. Not what we're about here at CKC. But that just leaves us with one thing left. What do our Clatchers feel about it? So we asked our Clatchers via CKC podcast. This week, we gave you Celeste, Mary Louise... Ed and Bonnie. Ed, I really put in for Kirk because he always said Ed. And you Ed, wanted Ed. Ed in there. Come on. <laughs> Mary Louise had to get put in there for this last time, but no surprise, she loses in fourth place with only 2%. Thank goodness. She's been winning so you had, much. You had no wins, Mary Louise, and I really wanted you to have to deal with all of this way more than you did. Third place with 10% is Ed. People still don't love him, babe. I'm sorry. <laughs> he definitely had a redemptive moment that I was happy to see. But he may leave her now. <laughs> I'm not sure what's going to happen. And even moving into the future, I don't think it's just Madeline that needs to change. I think everything needs to change here. And I'm not sure if his speech sold me on that he's ready to do that yet. No, it's more like you're on eggshells. You get a second chance here, but you know. Coming in second place with 20% was Bonnie. Listen, she... Propelled the story forward. Definitely pushed things <laughs> forward. This all culminated because of what happened with her here. Zoe Kravitz, this is no fault on her, did a great job acting. We've said that about everyone in the cast here, despite some problems with the way we feel things were put together. The performances on stage were amazing. But coming in first place with 68% is Celeste. The redemption arc that we were waiting for. We saw her getting beaten and battered from herself, still from Perry, and specifically from Mary. Now, here's what's tough about this one, Jason. We try to average out most valuable character for the season when we don't have a separate poll for that. Mary Louise won three times and Celeste won three times for the poll. The With only the Clatchers, other, right? Yes. The only other person who ranked there was Renata. But if you go by scoring, Celeste had the higher winning scores. Okay. So I think she takes she it, takes and it. I want to give it to her. She takes the cake, and hopefully she wins an award next year. Surprise, surprise, I'm going with Celeste as well. And I'm going to guess you are too. Yeah, it's no secret. We actually haven't given it to her all season long with our votes. We've given it to Mary Louise a couple of times. You had a Renata, a Jane, and Elizabeth in there. But this is her moment, so it's going to be Celeste all around. Let's see what the Clatchers had to say in their comments. Kirk says, I know I was supposed to vote for Bonnie because she moved the story through her own dishonesties and right down to the police station to put an end to the final lie. So I did, but I'm hoping you guys do a season wrap-up so I can vote for Celeste for the season MVC. Well, she just got the official ranking here, yeah. so hopefully that's good for you, Kirk. 
He also says, P.S., how could they play Melissa Etheridge's version of the closing song when Janis Joplin did the quintessential cover? Thank so now you. he's going to yell at me for saying <laughs> I like the, the Etheridge rendition. But of course, nobody's Janis Joplin. Come on. Daniel says, Celeste carries the narrative forward the most. We certainly learned so much from her work on Mary Louise in the courtroom, but Renata's explosion on Gordon, so satisfying. Overall, though, I was disappointed in this episode. I felt like the courtroom drama overshadowed everything else. I felt shortchanged this year. These truncated episodes left me wanting so much more. And I didn't like the final scene at all. Is this leaving it open to another season? Orange is the new black and Big Little Lies is the next series. Yeah, oh, that's a question mark. I don't want to see them in jail. I'm just going to put that there. If that's where they were going with a season three, I'm not into that. Oh, uh, no, I, I wouldn't like that at all. No, that's <laughs> not going to work. depressing. No. Uh, well, okay, that makes me feel a little better. I always feel like when we're a little more critical, I feel a little self-doubt, like people are going to be mad at us. But at least we know we have some clatchers on our side. Well, and I love this gift that you put below. Steve Carell. In the office. Why don't you explain this to me like I'm five? <laughs> Can't you picture Renata when she's having her moment with Mary Louise in the coffee shop? Hold on. You're going to explain this to me like I'm five? (laughs) Katie says, I was really hoping Celeste would rock it in the courtroom and she did not disappoint. Brutally honest while still maintaining class. Really well done. Kirk again. Celeste for season MVC. She's got it. Taking the trophy. Lindsay says, I think Bonnie deciding to turn herself in carries the plot forward the most, but Celeste carries the episode. It's a hard one, but I'm picking Bonnie. Right in for the Monterey Five, destroyers of the cycle of abuse marching like superheroes to a confrontation of a final lie at the end. I'm really glad our Clatchers are seeing the good parts of Bonnie. Because we do see the good parts of Bonnie, but story-wise, we just feel like they could have pulled more The show shortchanged her, but the the character is really great at the core of of what we don't Mm. get enough of. And also them agreeing that this bond... The amazing thing that's forged between these women is so much more than just that. Warren says, great episode. Do I wish it was twice as long and delved into more detail? Obviously. But on the whole, I think it touched on all the points I wanted addressed and answered the questions I had. We definitely mirrored his sentiments. I mean, I don't think it touched on everything I wanted to see. It was good if there was more coming (laughs) or if they had not stretched everything out so much earlier in the season there's more Mm -hmm. meat on this bone get to that yeah and then this kind of tight wrap-up is okay anyhow the viking says celeste for mbc for sure she owned mary louise in the courtroom (laughs) honorable mention for renata for taking the baseball bat to gordon's collectibles absolutely emmy nom for the real meryl streep for her stellar performance on the witness stand i mean meryl streep but also nicole kidman I mean, I love Meryl Streep, and she's phenomenal, but I think Nicole Kidman really outshone everyone here. I totally agree with that, but I think it's a testament, again, to Meryl Streep, because this isn't her show. It's not her moment. So she's so good where she could be fantastic, but know that she is a supporting character. She can't overplay it. Yeah, and And she said that coming into this season. She wanted to be part of the group, you know, not the thing. (laughs) Yeah, she has such a grasp on this art where she knows when to push it, when to pull it, how far to do it. I really wish we could have a conversation with her. It'd be amazing. This whole team was incredible. Shayna saying, Celeste is NBC for defending herself and putting pressure on Mary Louise. But it would have been hard to resist Renata if she were one of the options. 
Yeah, that's why we didn't put her on there, right? Mm-hmm. That was an that's amazing right. that's moment. Why. Annihilating Gordon's train set and toys was the highlight of her character arc this season. And the moment we needed in this episode. I mean, if you say most valuable scene, yeah. it's a scene stealer. If you watch that scene one more time, but then put in your brain that she's yelling at the creator of Jurassic Park <laughs> and saying, how the fuck could you bring these animals back to life? <laughs> Show a dinosaur some respect. And that airplane in the be- behind her is a real airplane trying to pick them up. Oh, yeah. <laughs> True. Elsie says, honorable mention to the judge. Yes. I gave the judge my vote last episode. Uh, for her verdict, I didn't even realize I was holding my breath until after she said her bit. I feel like the whole episode pivoted on what she decided. Yes, it did. And then pivoted again because... But I like that at least that was their choice. It wasn't other people deciding for them celeste still gets her personal yeah, victory for absolutely. everything she worked so hard for and now they're coming together and saying we choose this fate i just feel like there's no part in my body no bone in my body that says these women should come straight to the police because perry is such an asshole because it's not what they deserve if mm-hmm. justice isn't on their sides however this season showed us that they're not innocent. Not only does no, not only does he continue to win, but the trauma never ends and will continue to be spread down intergenerationally to these kids, yeah. to these kids if they don't fix it. The lie is eating them up and we saw what that has done to someone like Mary Louise moving right on down the line. Mm. If they want to stop it, this is their only choice. That's why I love our final comment from Sophia. Bonnie deserves NBC for the final episode. She's the conscience of the group and the breaker of chains. And of lies, of course. <laughs> Another Game of Thrones enthusiast. I love it. So this has been amazing. I think we've said all we can say about this show. We really hope that you guys had a great time. Thank you so much for going on the ride with us. We hope that you stay subscribed. Don't forget us. Continue all the fun stuff that's going to be happening here at CKC. Till next time. This round's on me. This round is on me. <laughs> Please hang up and try again.